Hey guys, welcome back to the Fourth Down Experience podcast. Uh, along with Chris Hughesby, I'm Brian Jackson, and, and we're excited because we're in season four and we have a phenomenal, uh, established, uh, just a great man uh, on our show today. Uh, Chris, how's it going, man? Uh, thanks, Brian. I'm doing well. Things are going well up here in Minnesota. How are things down in Alabama? Not bad. Uh, pretty sunny. Uh, I think I actually got sunburnt yesterday uh, in the backyard. I know that's a little different for you up there in, um, in Minnesota. How many inches of snow you guys have up there right now? <laughs> well, it did snow a while ago, but it's all melted. So thank goodness. We, uh, we got a heat wave coming up at about 40, 45 degrees. We'll enjoy that while we can and get outside. And after that, we're stuck indoors. So Indeed. Well, guys, thanks again for joining us in the Fourth Down Experience podcast. I'm going to let Coach Hughesby um, go ahead and talk about our guest today and have him talk about himself. Sure. Uh, I'm very thrilled about today's interview here. Uh, this coach right here, uh, Coach Mark Tomerdahl, he's been a, a coaching mentor of mine over the years ever since I met him. Uh, he's from the Minnesota area, so he's always uh, had an interest in looking at the recruits that we've had out of this area and uh, have grown to, to have a real nice friendship with him over the years, too. And, and drastically uh, value his opinion on, on a lot of things. So uh, Mark's been in the game for 30 years as a coach uh, and 24 years as a special teams uh, coordinator. So we're excited to have you on, Coach Tomerdahl. Uh, why don't we start this off and just tell us a little bit about your journey uh, over the years and kind of where you've been and how you got here. It's, it's very lengthy. Oh, it's, it's, been a good, it's been a good ride. First of all, thanks for having me on your, um, on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with both you gentlemen. Um, it's been, um, it's been a long journey. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, I believe this is my 37th fall. And so I'm, um, I'm thankful, um, for the stops I've made and the people I met along the way. And I'm also thankful that after all this time, uh, this game still gives me uh, a great rush. Um, the interaction with players still motivates me to get out of bed early in the morning. Um, it's just been a great life and, uh, and we're not done yet. So, um, quickly, um, I started off as a GA at the University of Wyoming and I just stayed. Um, I was one of those guys, I, frankly, I really didn't know enough about movement and contacts and all that. I just liked working there and I stayed. So I was a, I was a part of four staffs there. Um, and it was one of those deals where coaches kept rolling through and I just was able to keep advancing professionally. So I was there for four head coaches um, and I stayed 11 years, which is unusual at a place like that. Although it's, it's a great place. It's just one of those places where people move. Um, and after I left Wyoming, I went, I went to the University of Minnesota. I was there for a very short time. I came in right at the end of the Jim Wacker era. And then um, I got hooked up with Dennis Franchione. And so we had a, we had a great run, almost on parallel in, in college football at that time. We, um, in, a, in 12 years, we did uh, New Mexico to C TCU to Alabama to Texas A&M. And with a few exceptions, for the most part, through all those four moves, our staff stayed together. And so we had uh, tremendous continuity. And it was just, just a great run. Um, after A&M, then I, I bounced for a couple of years. Um, I, I did a year at Louisiana Monroe, and then I got hooked up with Sonny Dykes at Louisiana Tech. And so Sonny and I were together at Louisiana Tech, and then we did um, four years together at Cal. And so um, after that, uh, then I, I, I went and worked with Matt Wells um, for one year at Utah State. Went to Purdue for a year after that, and then Matt got this job and I rejoined him. So I've had a lot of stops, um, but, um, and sometimes you get that reputation as a person who moves a lot. Um, and al although I have moved frequently, um, my career has been unmarked by, or has been marked, pardon me, by kind of unusual stability in that I was at one school 
for 11 years. I just was on four different staffs there. And then um, for between two head coaches, I worked for two head coaches in Dennis Francione and Sonny Dykes for 19 years. But in those 19 years, we worked at six, six different schools. So I stayed at one school for a long time with on four different staffs, and then I got hooked up with two guys and we moved. <laughs> so um, it's it, it life has not been dull, and again, I'm, I'm I'm thankful for the ride that we've had. Yeah, it's been really cool to kind of see where you've been going. And I I had no idea about the Wyoming, um, mm -hmm. you know, eleven year I guess you could call it career there, right? And it's pretty cool that you were there. And so now I understand, you know, why you love the Big Sky Country so much and have that connection with Coach Hughesby up there. Um, but one thing that kinda... Chris, Chris, he, Chris, he's just talking like a Southern guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about when, he's, <laughs> when he thinks Minnesota's part of the big sky country. He just doesn't know, man. He's not in the South. He's in the deep South. And there's a difference, Brian. There is. But I, I also lived in Spokane, Washington for two and a half years. And I drove through Montana and all those states. And I actually didn't understand what big sky country meant until I drove through those states and saw the sky on my windshield. And it made sense. There you go. Um, but one thing that did trigger me, Coach, uh, Francione, Alabama. Yep. Yep. What years were you there? We were there for two. So 2000, uh, we came in 2000, left in 2002. So um, Here, here's my question. Why didn't you recruit me, Coach? Uh, awkward silence, man. Awkward silence. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, 2003 grad. And uh, did, did you guys like walk-ons a lot there? Because I remember – when I went on a visit there twice, I remember being told uh, no scholarships. You're going to have to earn your way on. There's going to be about six or seven guys to compete against. Was that, I'm yeah, trying check to it, Check this out. Well, I don't remember those recruiting lines. I do know that we had a girth of kickers there um, because it, you know, it, it was, it's just one of those places where a lot of people wanted to be part of the program. Yes. Yeah, so at that time, and I could be off a, a couple guys here. If, if somebody's listening to that coach that, but I believe we had like 13 guys in the room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had, I had a PW or not PWO. I had I had like walk-on opportunities to Kentucky and Bama, and, and luckily Ball State came in there with a the scholarly. But um, that's so wild. That's so cool that you were there. Um, well, cool. Uh, really awesome. Uh, learned some new things, and I need to do more research on Big Sky Country apparently. <laughs> um, but coach, going through this, you know, I, I love seeing more kickers, punters, long snappers turning into the GA quality control realm. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's your view of the landscape as far as like more specialist type guys getting into the, the coaching world for college? And, and do you foresee in the next five, seven, 10 years, uh, there being more kicking, punting, snapping S type guys uh, in the coaches? coaches yeah. Circle? Yep. I mean, you're, you're talking the right guy because, you know, um, I've been doing this for a long time. I've never kicked a football. I have never snapped a football. And so um, we like, um, you know, the, 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 the analyst quality control GA positions, you know, they're, they're expansive in college football. There's a lot of those opportunities out there now. And then you carry that over to the assistant um, in, the, in the NFL. Um, these are quality jobs now that lead to things, you know, um, uh, quality control coaches are, are being paid better now they ever have been you know if, if you're an assistant in the nfl and you have a good two or three year run now you have a great opportunity to to get your own room and be a coordinator at that level um and i, I know there's only 32 of them but um 
you can be extremely well paid and have a good career. So to answer your question, um, there is a tremendous market, if you will now, for specialists to coach. Because again, I've got a lot of experience. I have zero experience kicking a ball or snapping a ball. So our analyst here has an extensive background. Whether they played or not, um, they are um, experts in coaching technique. So the last couple we've had, are, um, two have been former players and one has found his niche in, in coaching those guys. So, you know, and, and we follow the rules here, you know, they're so limited what they can do um, uh, on the field, etc. They can't run their own meeting, but they can be in our meetings and they just provide that that extra voice. Because I think one of the I think one of the most dangerous things that I can do is try to BS a guy and, and give unwarranted advice. It just screws them up. So we like having a person in that role who is an expert and then that role can lead into my job or a job at the higher level. So kind of leading into that, then if you are a, a kicker, punter, and snapper uh, with experience um, and have has the ability to coach it up too, besides just being a good athlete and be able to do the job as a, as a, as a kicker, punter, snapper, is that, do they have to kind of go up the ranks, do you think, like D3 to D2, or do you see like um, a lot of them can jump right into the D1 realm? No, because again, if you're if you're if you can speak the language of a specialist, you can go into Division One right now as an analyst or a, a GA. It's it's the best it's ever been in that regard, just because there's so many more opportunities. And I think it's I think it's really can, can, um, becoming a valued position. And you guys, and perhaps the people listening, know more about what I speak to or speaking about than even I do. Okay, because you guys both know that almost all specialists golf and that's how they talk. Okay, I don't golf. I'd probably be a better coach for specialists if I did, but when they start talking about thin and thick and slice and plant and 47 degrees on my plant foot, all that, I, I don't know what they're talking about. So it helps to have somebody who speaks your language. Do you, do you foresee, I mean, we've already seen Coach uh, Boniel. I mean, you, you know probably a lot of these guys, Coach Boniel, we've seen Nate Kading. Um, you know, Randy Brown, I don't know if, I can't remember if Randy Brown kicked or not, but obviously as a phenomenal specialist unit at the Ravens, yep. coach, coach David Akers, um, do you foresee the NFL having a like quote unquote kicking guru in the next mm -hmm. three, five, 10 years? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going on right now. Um, and I think it'll only increase. And there again, this game is not all about the money. It's not. Um, that's <laughs> if it was, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Um, but you know, it's just, um, and again, I hate to make this sound like it's just business cause it's not, um, it's, especially not the college level. And some would disagree with that, but I'm, I'm stubborn about that. However, you know, you look at the elite kickers in the league, those are million dollar jobs. I'm talking about for players and you look at the value to the franchise, it's worth it to pay a guru, if you will, to come and join your staff because it's going to, it's going to increase performance. It's going to win games. So, so it's the best, pardon me for interrupting, but it's the best it's ever been. And I would continue that would increase for people with that expertise. One last thing on that scheme wise, you know, obviously um, me trying to tell you what the left tackle is doing on kickoff return, I'm, I'm yep. going to struggle with that. So uh, what, what about that for these guys that may look in the GA quality control? Is it, is it, Hey, you know, kicking, punting, snapping, stay in your lane or Hey, develop as much knowledge as you can scheme wise to become 
a better yeah. specialist coach? Your, your knowledge is enough to get your foot in the door now. Okay. And again, more so than ever. Now, once you get your foot in the door, expand your base. Got it. Nice. Thanks, Coach. Awesome, awesome advice. My last question about just the coaching career path, and this is obviously for the aspiring kids. Uh, and then we want to talk to you about recruiting and just some general special team stuff. But <clears throat> for the guys getting into it uh, that want to coach at the college level and beyond, I guess what are some words of wisdom on your end that you've seen? You've obviously gone to a lot of programs. What are some kind of highs and lows, pros and cons that kids should know about coaching at this collegiate level? Oh, I mean, I, I probably had a lot of both. Um, I, I probably had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. I, I certainly had more highs than lows. I would say this to you, and I, I'm not sure I'm answering your question directly, but I just think it's a great life. I'm, I'm, again, I, I look forward to coming to work every day. I think it keeps us young. Um, and I just have a passion about what I do, and I'm thankful for that. So I, I would say this to you. Um, <laughs> if I was to give advice, it would be simply to follow your passion. And your passion doesn't have to be what other people define it to be or what they think it should be. If, if you like doing what you're doing, then just throw yourself into it and go full speed. I think a lot of this world, whether it's athletics or not, gets caught up in doing what they think others think they should do. And God bless you if that's the case. Nice. Love it. Coach, um, loving this interview. So I'm, I'm so glad you came on and, and a, lot of, a lot of people learning, especially myself. Uh, coach, when you're, when you're looking at specialist, kicker, punter, long snapper, and, and just like the mental psyche, the mental toughness, uh, even just, you know, right now in the COVID era where everything's via Zoom and, and virtual and all that kind of stuff, um, what are some things that you're looking for in prospective specialists? Okay, I, I, you know, a couple things that really taint this discussion now because um, specialists are like quarterbacks in that it's hard to off them without seeing them live. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of people that throw out offers off of film to other positions. It's really hard to do that with quarterbacks and specialists. Um, you know, um, I tell almost everybody that I recruit that I need to hear the ball off your foot. I need, I, I, I can tell with my eyes shut if you're a quality punter or kicker, but I need to hear it. Um, and now that's impossible. <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna, we're not gonna leave campus until April, you know, so, so that's a caveat that, that retains this entire discussion because we're recruiting right now and it's all off of film for the first time in my, my very long career. So that's, um, specialists are just in that niche and uh, it can be frustrating. It can be really frustrating for people this year because you're playing a position where people need to see you play live. Now, if you're a senior, um, you're going to be recruited this year and I may be recruiting. It's just that it's a unique situation for both of us. And then from the, um, this is good. This is good stuff. Now, if we if we recruits listen to this, um, the, the Bill Walsh once said, if if you use toughness as an excuse, it means there's something else wrong, and you're just using a cliche. But I I, I do think so. We have to be careful when we talk about toughness because it's really hard to define. Okay, but I have been around specialists who are tough guys. I think they have to be really tough-minded people. And um, again, it helps me analyze that when I can see you kick live. It helps me analyze that when I can see you compete against others, whether it be a game or at some type of competition. Um, and so that's, you know, the rules that we're, we live with now, that's getting harder and harder to do because back in the old days, 
you know, we could go to these combines and look at 120 kickers compete against each other. It's extremely valuable. Um, the other thing, and this is what I was referring to when I said, I got good stuff for recruits. Um, we all know it's unique to this position to have helicopter parents. And again, I think you can equate that to quarterback, the quarterback um, position. Specialist parents fly their kids all over the country and it's expensive to do that. I've often said a father has no greater love for his son than to fly him to a two-day long snapping competition and sit on a stool and watch his son's long snap for two days. But my point being, parents screw up a lot of opportunities for specialists just because people don't like dealing with them. Um, so I think that's good advice. And again, it's easy for me to say this because I'm not, I'm talking to you two guys, but um, you know, parents, if your son's being recruited, he's old enough to go to war. I mean, God bless him, hopefully that's not the case, but if your son's 17 years old and I'm recruiting him, he's old enough to go to war, which means he's old enough to stand by himself in front of 80,000 people and be frozen at the 42 yard line. So I need to know if he's tough enough to handle that. And if you do all the talking for him, I can't figure that out. Indeed. I mean, my, my dad worked for the military for 30 years as DOD civilian, and I don't ever, just even being around specialist parents the last 10 years, knee deep in this, along with Chris, I don't ever recall my dad going up to Coach Brady Hoke and, and saying, hey, have you ever thought about putting my son in to, to punt or, or whatever? Like, I had my conversations with my dad and my parents, and then when it was game day, like, my dad may have had a chance to say hi to Coach Hoke, but that was it. You know, right. there was no conversation. There was no text or, or emails or sending letters and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I 100% agree with you, Coach. And it's, it, it's nice to hear from you with all of your experience that parents definitely can get in the way. I guess, okay, so feeding off that with the parents um, and, and kid conversations, what are, what are some do's and don'ts that you, that you like or, or don't like? If parents were starting to get involved a little bit or... When we have camps, um, and so if you've been to one of our camps, pardon me because you've heard this before, um, I tell the parents, I don't need you to tell me how good your son is. And then I tell the sons, I've never had a camp where it's not the worst day you've ever had. Um, everybody who doesn't win the kicking competition, and there's only one who wins the competition, walks by me and says it's the, it's the worst day they've ever had. So we don't need to hear that. Just um, let your actions um, speak louder than your words. Um, parents, let your son's actions do the talking. And again, um, I, I think just allow your son to compete at peace. And then student athletes, you need to show us that you know how to compete. That's Coach, uh, I think that answered the question. It did. Yep. It, it, it tied me into 2021s. So what, what I'm telling guys is to be patient, uh, even though they're supposed to be patient anyways, even if we didn't have COVID, they need to be patient. Um, but what I've been kind of just using the, the keep it simple, stupid type deal here with them is, you know, what they're thinking December, January, February is we're telling them, hey, March, April, May, April, May, June. Like, yeah. don't don't give up on this because these guys need to see spring ball. And now with the new – NCAA update 
Um, is that accurate? Am I giving bad advice or what can we do to enhance that advice? No, I, I think you're dead on and I think we've kind of talked it in full circle. Now, because again, like, we may be forced to offer somebody off a film, okay? If that, and if we do that, it's gonna be in the next couple of weeks and I can promise you, it will be the most in-depth film evaluation we've ever done. You know, it'll be, it's not gonna just be off a highlight film. Um, you know, it involves multiple Zoom meetings, et cetera. Okay, um, so that may be reality, but your advice is dead on because again, um, people, uh, um, for the third time, I'll equate this to quarterbacks. We can't make a mistake on a quarterback scholarship. You're only gonna have three or four of those guys in your program and you can't make a mistake. The same thing is true with specialists. I mean, because again, we intend to make a, a four year have a four-year player who would offer one. It's, I don't think many people, whether they admit this or not, offer a scholarship to a kicker or a punter and expect him to back up for two years. We're not going to do that. We need him to come in right away, maybe sit for a year, but we need you to go. Um, and so if we're in that situation where we need a guy and we can't make a mistake, there's going to be a mad rush of evaluations in April. People will be flying all over the country to watch these spring balls or team workouts. So we make sure that we're not wrong. And the one thing I, that I think can be a, a note of encouragement here also, you know, right now the NCAA has pushed back off-campus recruiting until April, okay? If these vaccines come out and are highly distributed, that could change to a more favorable date. And that's not, it's not like I have any, any inside information here. It's just that the information from the NCAA changes literally weekly, if not daily. And so just because April 15th is sitting out there, don't, don't be surprised if it gets pushed up in light of favorable medical developments. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Um, just to help out the prospects a little bit more, um, you know, you've had a long career at the Power 5 level. It, what, what's like your standard when you are recruiting guys? And do you ever bend a little bit like, well, it's not quite – this hang time, but I can, I can do with this, or do you have like a, this is my bar and you have to beat it or else we're not getting recruited. Yeah. That, I think that's pretty easy for me to answer. I, there's, for me personally, there's not a, a rigid minimum. There's not. Um, I get impressed by guys who can do more than one thing. Um, and again, um, if, if you, if you can just um, recruit an elite punter and that's all he does, so be it. But as we both know, all three of us know, there's more valuable to a, a great punter that can also kick off, you know, or a field goal guy who's dead on, who is also your starting kicker and maybe good enough to be a backup punter. You know, because we all get, we all get squeezed when it comes to our Thursday travel discussion, you know, and if you have a guy that can be a, you know, frankly, if, if you can have your starting kicker get you out of a game as a punter, or if your starting punter can kick a, a field goal, or excuse me, a PAT, if you can kick a PAT, if your kicker, gets hurt um that all opens up another seat on the plane and that's it only enhances your marketability coach you mentioned you know an in-depth uh you know analysis of, of film you've re review just depending on the situation at hand what are some things that recruits can do in general on twitter that you know what do we what do we need to eliminate on twitter and what do we need to see more of you know well on twitter? That, check this out man i mean you're talking to the 
wow, I'm talking to the wrong guy because like I have to have people do Twitter for me. I'm the king of the retweet. Okay, so um, like one thing, I, one thing that I can um, get my attention or something that um, helps me. And again, now you just gotta understand now I'm I'm advanced in age and maybe set in my ways, but this helps me. Like, um, I mean. We, we get hundreds and hundreds of highlight tapes, okay? And frankly, my wife, Annette, can make herself look good on a highlight tape. And again, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need a dad with a digital watch at the bottom of the screen saying, that's a five, two, four hang time, okay? Because I'm gonna put my watch on every kick, okay? Um, so like one thing that, that doesn't get done very often that I will ask for, and it, it just gets my attention. There's, I place a lot of value on filming a workout and letting the film run. So if I'm evaluating as a guy for kickoffs, I want, I want it shot from the stands so I can see the whole kickoff. So I can, I can measure it myself and see the lines, get my own hang time and let the camera run so that I know it's not edited. So I know that's not your best four kicks in the last seven days. That, that again, I think is unique, but that gets my attention and helps me evaluate. And it's gonna be important this year than ever. On that particular front, would it yep. even enhance the film if they had it running and they turn around and put the tee on the other 40 or 35 and kick the other way? Yes. Right, because I mean, I mean if, if you can't see the clothes moving or the flags or the trees, <laughs> I mean, I, I tell guys, I get a lot of I get a lot of highlight films with the flag sticking straight out, man. So I don't I don't know if it's a 25 mile an hour wind or a 40 mile wind, but I'm not very impressed by you kicking it out. Got it. Thanks, Coach. Uh, question with that: We, um, you know, Brian and I are kicking coaches, as you know too. So we're always trying to advise the kids like this is what you need to do to get their attention. Um, what are your thoughts on? Because we try to tell kids like, hey, you're not superhuman. You're gonna miss. So if a kid's going to go out and say, do uncut film on eight or 10 field goals and they miss one or two, is that okay in your Definitely. eyes? Definitely. It almost gives them credibility. It helps. Okay. 2023's coach, sophomores right now. Yeah. Um, getting swayed by people uh, and just looking at other kids that have already hit their growth spurt. Everyone's different, as you know. We're all different. So the T, 2023 sophomores, is it a big deal right now for them? When is it a big deal to start seeing these guys off the ground? Yeah, and again, now you may get a different answer um, from somebody else, okay? You're gonna have to be one of the top two or three guys in the country to get my attention as a sophomore. Because frankly, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if there's many of us that think that far out unless you've got some tie to a program, you know, unless your dad was a great player at Alabama or something like that, because, because again, our needs are more immediate than three years down the road. Um, and so become a, become a quality kicker before you start try, trying to get my attention by kicking off the ground. I, it's, it's not, I can tell you this, for a guy three years away, kicking off the ground, that's great. Um, but if you're using a T and you're 20 of 23, now you got my attention. Love it. And I'll okay. watch you next year kick off the ground. <laughs> got it. Kickoffs, field goal kicking. 
you know, we, you know, you know, you've known Chris for a long time. You've known him and I together as far as running our camps and all that kind of stuff. You know, we, we see hundreds of guys throughout a year calendar year that can go eight for eight on a field goal chart, you know, from mm -hmm. long or 48, but then they go to the kickoffs and they may range from hitting at 45 yards to 62 yards to 70 yep. yards, whatever. So coach Campbell, who's at South Alabama now, I'm sure you've heard of him. Used to be at Gulf coast in Mississippi. He told me one time in 2012 when we did a little Juco camp together, he's like, look, you know, like I need to see kickoffs first. I want to see the guys that can kick off the farthest first, and then I'll make my decisions after I see that on field goals. Uh, it kind of kept it real simple, stupid for me, where I was like, it was kind of cool perspective. Thoughts for you, like, you know, obviously you mentioned being able to punt and being able to do kickoffs and field goals. Um, how much do you value kickoffs uh, when you're recruiting okay. a kicker? Just, I can answer this very succinctly. The very first thing we do at our camps is kickoff. Then we punt, and then we finish with field goals. So I think I answered your question. <laughs> Got it. Chris? Oh, that was great. Um, trying to think here. What, okay, uh, there is a debate amongst our industry about what a Division One or even a Power 5 caliber kickoff guy is. In your, in your opinion, is it a 4065, 4070, or can it be a 38? 60 65 with you know that there's room for improvement like in your opinion what's a what's a power five kickoff leg yep and there again i think you get two different answers so it really depends on your scheme and um we want the ball going out in this league we want the ball going out and so i i tell guys if you if it's a three seven out the back okay i'm not going to say a word okay um but what we can't have i'll tell them this we can't have a, a three six to the one yard line that's coming back on us too fast so there are a handful of teams in the country, and, and we can name them. It's kind of like it's kind of like an upper echelon team, one or two teams in each Power Five conference, where they're going to force you to return. You know, they they've got such elite coverage teams that they're going to put the ball inside the five with a four-two hang time, and just just dare you to get the pass, ball past the twenty. Okay, and so there's a handful of teams like that still left. I think most would agree with my my first statement last yeah. question for me coach uh yep. punt the you know a lot of people have different terminologies i'm sure you have yours i'm standing let's say 14 yards uh, back from the long snapper uh in general where do i need to be making contact with the ball how many yards out you know as far as the block point okay yeah that's that is a good question so again if you're going to get different answers based on the scheme that like when i'm when i'm uh, evaluating or charging an opponent. Okay, if that if that block point is at ten yards, okay, I'm I'm. It's almost like a mistake has to be made for me to get there. Assuming the shot, and, and you know, in our league, every every everybody's there's no slow snap the kicks in our league. Um, every operation is is really smooth, and so block point is really important. If you're getting underneath ten, then I'm starting to salivate a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, so these guys need to, they don't need to go past a four yard mark. Like, you know, when we go, when we have a camp, like we just had a camp recently and a guy hit like four and a half yards where he's landing after he kicked, where, where do these guys need, do they need to be at a two and a half yard measure from catch to, to kick? No, I, because like we've got, you see some guys 
that are just big guys. And like, I see guys plant at four yards. I do. Okay. okay. You know, but those guys are six, five, six, six, and they can, they can just boom the snout out of the ball. And, and I guess again, I see this, you know, if you're, if you're a big guy, you can, you can, if you're taking that jab that you don't count as a third step, but it's really a third step and you're long, I mean, you, you can, you can plant at five yards and now you're much too close. Sure. Got it. Perfect. Two and two and a half is ideal. I don't know how realistic that is, except for those that are highly, highly trained. Got it. And I, I assume, Brian, you're talking about the plant foot, right? Yeah. You know, and just, yeah. just, just because we'll be at a camp and we want these guys to chart first and then we, then we instruct and we make adjustments and we have to explain yeah. to them like, college coaches are going to not, or they're going to go bypass your film. If you're kicking the ball at the five yard mark, right. yep. scheme wise, unless it's a rollout type of rugby type style, but as far as pro style or even just shield, I mean, that, that's why I, you know, they'll, they'll hear us, but they're going to listen to guys like yourself. Yeah. Better and, and again, I see that. I see guys plant at five, you know, because again, if, if, if it's a low snap, low snaps make guys long. And if they're a, they're a tall punter, um, now that jab becomes their third step, and it's it's, it's too long. Got it, Coach. My last question here about recruiting uh, yep. for punters. Uh, as we all know, it's it's very common the kids want to kick a, just a big ball right down the middle, just smash it, get as much hang time and distance as as they can get. Obviously, I'm sure that catches your eye, but is there is there other film that punters need to do when they're making film to send to you, coaches, like directional <laughs> punts and rugby's and in Aussie? Yeah. The, the, um, the, the directional thing I kind of view as my job. So again, if you can boom a big ball with good hang time and good distance and it's right down the field, that is going to get my attention, Chris, it, it is. Um, and then I, I view it as my job to, to teach them to directionally punt and work on the nuances of that. The rugby thing, if you can at least be a threat to rugby, it's a great thing to have in your hip pocket, as we all know. There's a lot of people who are recruiting guys who are 100% rugby now. Get the ball on the ground, get it gone fast, and just let it roll. Um, and that's becoming more and more prevalent. Okay, we still recruit a traditional punter here, but but if you can have at least the threat of rugby, in that now is it's just another way to enhance your resume. It's attractive to us. I can tell you that. Coach, rep count. What's what's y'all's rep count on you know heavy first two days and then going in? To the last two days before we do walkers, I've I've got it right here. Um, so, go. Um, when on on, a, on the first part of the week, okay, um, the first two days we are heavy, heavy drill, okay, and we punt here on Tuesdays, and so that's going to be eight reps, and then after practice, I will do six more with you, so that's fourteen chartable reps. Okay, that does not include our specialty period, which we view as a little bit more than warm up. So we would like you to be warmed up before we have you punting to our, our returners. Okay, and that's a five minute period with a punter and a jugs machine. So in that period, you'll probably get another eight punts because we use the jugs machine to supplement. Okay, so now um, you're at 22 chargeable punts. And so in the drill work, we have punting um, in the drill work, but there's no, there is no rep count. Okay, it's drills. And I tell guys they have to protect their legs. And the term I use every day in the specials meeting is don't bang a ball just to bang a ball. Um, so when we punt down the line, 
it's tapping the ball down the line. They're just working on putting the ball straight. I don't need to see it go all the way across the field. And um, there again, so if, if we can chart you, and this includes our specialty period, 22 to 25 balls a day, that's a good day. And I'm not with our punters all practice long or our kickers. Um, I've, got, I've got some offense responsibility here, so I don't follow those guys around. But um, uh, we have an analyst um, who is with them charting them. But again, it, it's his job to make sure that they don't, they don't over, overkick. You have to be really careful because it, you know, it gets to be a long season. And we, all three of us, have seen the great high school kicker who in November is sky kicking because he's got nothing left. Nail on the head. Yeah. Wow. No, that's fantastic. I mean, that ties into just the type of camps that Brian and I try to run where, you know, you, a lot of the judgment stuff is based off charts too. Like you got to be able to put it together when it, when it counts. So, um, well, coach, this has been a fantastic interview and discussion. Uh, we always wrap up our, our conversations with our staple question. And since you're a coach, coach, we're going to, we're going to adjust it a little bit here. Um, but we always ask every interviewee, uh, tell us your five favorite stadiums you've ever coached in or, okay. or played in, but, but for you, you've been in the game for a while. Yeah. I, I, um, and my answer is going to surprise you. Okay. So, um, again, I, just because of the, the places I've been, I've either, you know, I had really great home stadiums or I've been to the, the best of the best. Um, USA Today comes out with, um, top 20 college stadiums to watch a game in each year. And, um, the only two I haven't been in, or I've never coached a, uh, a game at Penn State or Florida State. So um, I've been to some great ones. So if you want five, okay, my, and my, my, top okay? One, my top one will surprise you, okay? Um, so, the, um, you know, I, I was at A&M for five years, tremendous pageantry of college football, okay? The, um, some of the traditions there are a podcast in and of themselves, but the true pageantry of college football um, I, I loved it. Um, you know, I was at Alabama for two years. Um, and, um, uh, there's probably not a better tunnel to stand in than in that stadium, looking out at that crowd before you take the field. Um, so that would be a good one. The loudest stadium I've ever coached in was at South Carolina. We were at Alabama and, uh, Lou Holtz was the head coach of South Carolina. Um, and we, I was part of it on the sideline headsets on, standing face-to-face -face with the guy that you're trying to communicate with through the headset, coach-to-coach, -coach, and we couldn't hear each other. And we were face-to-face, -face, talking through microphones, and we couldn't hear each other. So that's three, okay? Um, the, and again, I hope I don't insult anybody by, by leaving a stadium out, okay? Um, but it's pretty cool to coach um, against Texas um, in Austin, okay? And um, in my last four trips to Austin, I'm two and two. So we've had some really good wins there. And then my all-time favorite stadium to coach college football in is the United States Air Force Academy. Um, I was at Wyoming for 11 years, so I went there every other year, okay? Um, and I, I just, I'm into all that God and country stuff. And I'm telling you, man, um, with the flyovers and when they walk all those cadets out on the field, and then um, I don't know if they still do this because it's been a long time since I've, since I've been there. But back in the day, um, the, the home team and the visitors walked up the same tunnel. So our locker room was on the left and theirs was on the right or vice versa. And when the visitors would walk into their locker room, um, the band would pack the tunnel 
and they were all military and they would stand straight faced, stone faced, staring straight ahead. And every band member would chant, ain't no way, ain't no way. And that's what you went in your locker room hearing and it just echoed in that tunnel. I mean, I get chills just telling you about it. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, you know, for the, the three whole. years we've been doing the podcast, Coach, uh, Texas A&M and LSU have been the most popular answers of the, the pro NFL kicker punter snappers that we've asked. So that's, it's, it's cool to see it even from a coaching standpoint. Yep. Yeah, I'm not surprised by South Carolina. I've heard that several times. I've never, never been there, but I've heard that South Carolina is super, super loud. Uh, Florida was really loud, but not surprised by that. Air Force, that, that would be a really cool experience. And just yeah. even hearing you describe it, it sounded pretty, it sounded pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, guys, make sure you follow Coach Tomerdahl on Twitter. Uh, it's at M Tomerdahl, T-O-M-M-E-R-D-A-H-L. Coach Mark Tomerdahl. Thank you so much, Coach, for being on. I've really learned a lot. Uh, it was great to see you again, Coach. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate your time, and God bless us all. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for being on, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. Have a good night, gentlemen. Thank you for your time.